This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. just verse by verse. We started in Romans chapter 1, verse number 1. We find ourselves in Romans chapter 5, verse number 4 today. And so this is message number 55 in our series. If you missed anything so far, you can always get caught up at the Hui Kala website, or I encourage you to download the Hui Kala app. That way you'll always, always have previous messages on the go. You can also take uh, notes on your mobile device during the service if you want to. There's a way that you can do fill-in notes on that if that's uh, helpful to you as well. Just take some really good notes as we go through the book of Romans, and I know you'll be uh, helped and encouraged as we go through this. Last week we took a look at how suffering builds strength, and today we find ourselves talking about how suffering exposes our hearts for what's really going on inside of our lives, and so we'll take a look at that here today. I mentioned last week, just kind of a way of, by way of review, you're either going through a really difficult spot right now in your life, or you're coming out of a really difficult spot, or you're getting ready to go into it, because no one is exempt from suffering, and so this message is going to be really applicable for those that find themselves in the middle of a storm right now. Uh, If you say, like, hey, I think everything's good in my life right now, please do this. Take really good notes because you're going to need it later. Uh, And even until that time comes, you're going to have some great wisdom to share with someone who's going through a difficult time. So I want to encourage you, uh, take really good notes here this morning. Romans chapter 5, we're going to start in verse number 1. Just for the sake of context, verses 3 and 4 is really where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. (laughs) Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations. That word glory means we rejoice in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. If you have kids, you know that uh, each one of your kids have different personalities, and uh, everyone is uniquely different. For us, we have four children, and each of them are are super special, super sweet. Uh, All have their own unique quirks and idiosyncrasies. But every now and then you have that one kid who you're kind of wondering exactly what's going on upstairs, right? Is there any brain activity here? Because you function well on a day-to-day basis, but then sometimes you wonder, like, hey, is there anything going on up there? Uh, If you ever had the the privilege of meeting my son, Vanderlei, he would be the kid in that particular category where it's just like, you know, you're doing so well. And sometimes you say the most random off-the-wall things. Uh, Probably about 10 years or so ago, there was uh, the History Channel put out this this, uh, mini-series called The Bible was the name of it, right? And it was basically six uh, different episodes of different things that happened in the Old Testament. That there was, you know, Abraham and Isaac was one of them. And I think the, um, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah was another one of them. And they, just these depictions of it. It was really kind of interesting and engaging. We watched them together as a family. And we got down to the end of episode six and it was over. And my son Van, he was probably, uh, I don't know, 12, 13 at the time. He was like, hey, do you think they're going to make any more of those? And I said, I, I don't know. I said, but you know, they've got, a, they've got a book by the same name. He was just like, Really? Yeah. He was like, no way, can we, get a, can we get it? No, you already have it. We do? You bought it? It's called the Bible. And he's like, oh, yeah. It's like one of those. And so 
Mind you, my concern a, a few weeks ago when he told me, he said, hey, I got in my truck the other day and there's smoke coming out of the, the vents when I turn on the AC and it smells like exhaust fumes. And I said, do not drive your truck at all. I said, I was like, let me go and get it checked out or have it checked out by our mechanic, but like, do not drive it. Uh, and he was like, oh, it's fine. I go, no, it's not fine. I said, it's, if it's exhaust fumes, it's carbon monoxide. And I said, like, like that, that'll kill you. And he says, well, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? <laughs> No, like it will literally kill you. Like it will not make you stronger. You cannot get stronger by huffing exhaust, okay? Um, so it's like, no, this is not one of those instances where you just kind of power through. But that idea, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, you know, kind of helps us uh, get through times in life. And I guess it's kind of a maxim for people who don't have a lot of faith maybe, but believe it or not, that's actually a biblical truth. This passage that we find ourselves here in this morning tells us that tribulation will bring about uh, in our lives this word uh, that it says patience. We talked about last week how that word patience doesn't mean I don't like to wait. The word patience in this case here and, and throughout the rest of the Bible really means a steadfast endurance. It means that you're able to have the strength that you need to keep the pace up necessary to finish well is the idea behind that word patience. Nowhere in the Bible, believe it or not, that you should, should study this out sometimes, Greek language. But never in the Bible does it talk about people. Week on a Friday, I had to drop some stuff off and I had to rent a U-Haul truck to do it. And I went to turn my truck in and I, I wanted to catch an Uber back. My wife said, I'll pick you up. I said, no, it's fine. I'll, I'll grab an Uber. They'll be here before you can come get me anyways. And so I, I go to press a button. You know how it gives you all the different options that you have. And one is four minutes away. And it's when I select to hit four minutes and hit submit. And then it immediately, the second that I submit, it's like connecting you with the driver. Oh, they'll be there in 16 minutes. And I like lost it. I don't know what happened. I, like, I was just so angry at that thought. And I was just like, I'm going to cancel. So I'll go to cancel. And when you cancel, it's going to charge you a fee now to cancel it. It's just like, well, I didn't want this to begin with. And so while I'm sitting there on the sidewalk, I'm just like fuming. There's probably smoke coming out of my ears. I see this row of Bicky bikes over there. I thought, I'll just get a bike. I'll just bike home then. Like, forget it. I'm not waiting 16 minutes. Like, never mind the fact that it'll take me longer than 16 minutes to actually make it home. But the principle of just standing on the sidewalk like an idiot waiting for somebody to come pick you up just overwhelmed me. And so I'm running through all my options. I go there, look at the bikes, and there's like two bikes left, and one of them had a flat tire, and I was just like, oh. And I was just angry. The word patience in the Bible has nothing to do with that. Here's the word that has to do with that, carnality. Just sinfulness, pride. I'm so busy. I'm so important. I don't have time for this. I'm going to have to stand on the sidewalk like an idiot. But ask me, patience here. That's just in this case here and also in James chapter 1 if you're taking notes for later. That word patience means steadfast endurance. That when difficulty comes, it's actually meant to strengthen you, to give you what you need to make it the distance. Is that word what that word patience means? The other word that is used for patience sometimes in the New Testament, depending on your English translation of the Bible, is the word long-suffering. I prefer that word much better because it's literally what it means. The ability to suffer for an extended period of time is what that word means. Patience, like I don't like to wait for my, my Uber to show up or for the, the Domino's guy who's 10 minutes late. That's not in the Bible anywhere. That's just carnality. And so you need to, to confess that as such, which I did. I, I confess it to the Lord, and I'll confess my sin before you today. But when we talk about our, our trials when they come, the Bible says, be thankful that you have trials. That's tough. Because when bad things happen to us, our immediate response is complaining, blaming, uh, finding out who's responsible, holding people accountable, figuring out a way out of this. But the Bible says that we should stop and we should actually thank God for it. Same thing is told us in, in James chapter 1. 
that when your tribulations come, be thankful for that because your trial worketh patience. Exact same uh, concept that we find here in Romans chapter 5 this morning. So when suffering comes, first of all, we, re- we rejoice in suffering. Now we can do this because we know that our Father is at work. If you don't know Jesus, you can't understand this. That When difficult things come, you should actually be thankful for them. But if you know Jesus and you have God as your Father and Christ as your brother, you know that this is actually something that's really beneficial for you in the long run. You see, the, the greatest need that you and I have is not that we would have smooth sailing throughout life without problems. The greatest need that you and I have is what happens when this life is over. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment. You and I will stand before God one day and we'll have to give an account for our life, the Bible says. That's the greatest need that you and I have. Your greatest need this week is not financial. Your greatest need this week is not some uh, strife or drama that's going on at work. Your greatest need that you have is not some uh, emotional need that isn't being met. Your greatest need is your sin problem that, that creates a problem between you and God. And so the Bible says this, that you and I have broken God's law, all of us, not just some of us, all of us have broken God's law, myself included. And our sin that we do is not something that we did one time when we were in college, that one time we did that one thing. Our sin is part of who we are. God has a list of rules, and you and I have broken almost every single one of them, and we have no power to stop on our own. And so that creates a problem because if God creates rules and you and I break them, there always has to be consequences for the rules that we've broken. And the Bible says the consequences of my sin and yours is that we're going to die one day, and then after we die, we're going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's what we deserve. So I've sinned against God. I deserve to go to hell. That's, that's what I, I've done. But God loves me, and he says, loves you, and he says, I don't want you to go to hell I, don't, I want things to be right between you and I. And so God sent his son Jesus to die in our place. So you and I were supposed to be punished, but Jesus was punished for us. You and I were supposed to die, but Jesus went to the cross and died there in our place. And God made a way by what Jesus has done for us that if you're willing to believe in Jesus with every fiber of your being, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. You're willing to truly believe that and put your faith in Jesus and are willing to confess that you've sinned against God. God, forgive me of my sins. The Bible says you could be saved today. You don't have to go to a class. You don't have to join our church. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to come to communion. You don't ever have to come to church ever again because it's not about any of those things. It's about what do you believe about Jesus? That will make the determination whether you spend uh, eternity in heaven or hell based on that. That determines whether or not God is your father or whether God is your enemy. Totally up to you. Your choice to make. God wants to draw you close to him and make you his child and wants to become your father. But if you choose to rebel against God and continue to sin, the Bible calls you an enemy of God instead. And so you and I, Paul writes this letter to a group of Christians who know Jesus Christ is their Savior, who know God is their Father. And he says to them, we can rejoice when difficult things come because we know how this ends. If you're here today without Jesus Christ and you're without God as your Father, when difficulties come, where do you run? Where do you find hope? Where do you find encouragement? How do you know that everything's going to work itself out? Do you have that assurance 
More than likely not. That's why God gives you this assurance in Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, here's what Jesus says. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You have to be saved to go to heaven if there's never been a time like that for you. I'd love the opportunity to, to either sit down with you or have another person sit down with you and go through the Bible today and tell you how you can know for sure when you die that heaven's your home. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. But this isn't just about whatever happens one day when I die up in heaven. When we become a child of God, this changes how I live today, how I face my difficulty tomorrow, where I find hope on Tuesday, where my strength comes from on Wednesday, this factors into every single part of our life. Unfortunately, many Christians have never really grasped on to what it means to, to walking with Jesus, and Christianity becomes something that they do on Sundays. So I'll give God a couple hours on Sunday as opposed to integrating Him into every single area of our lives. And so if there's never been a time like that where you've been saved or born again, let today be that day. God wants to draw you near to Him. And when that happens, you can rejoice in suffering. Suffering brings about, verse number three tells us, perseverance, that word patience that's used here uh, in the King James translation of the, the Bible, whatever English translation you have, the idea behind that is steadfast endurance or perseverance. We talked about this last week that you can't get around strengthening your faith apart from going through suffering. You can read all the books in the world, you can read the Bible uh, through, you can memorize scripture, which are all helpful, really good for you. You can be in church a lot. You can surround yourself with Christian friends, but you never really know that strength building unless you have to go through a period of suffering. Then the Bible comes alive. The promises of God are very real. God's mercies truly are new every morning. Strength is built. When we talk about suffering, we're strengthened during that time of suffering. This is not a matter of just submitting to it or getting through it or enduring it. It's a matter of, of being strengthened during this time. Oftentimes when we go through periods of suffering, we just want to get through it, get it over with as quickly as possible. That's not the ideal when it comes to Christians who suffer. I'm not looking for the eject button. I'm not looking for the nearest exit. God's brought me through this time on purpose, and I need to sit and be strengthened. It's a very difficult thing when you, if you've ever had to go through suffering. If you haven't, your day's coming, I promise you that. But when there doesn't seem to be a clear answer any time around, hey, when is this all going to be over? I'm not sure that it will ever be over. When there's no end date or expiration date when this suffering will end, that's when you realize, oh, it's not about getting over it. It's a matter of enduring through it with the help of the Lord. Hey, God's strengthening me during this time. I just need to sit and allow him to do his work. We talked about this last week, but if you want to get stronger, you go to the gym and you lift heavy weights and you try to... Uh, progressively week after week, lift more weights, lift heavier weights, and then there's times where you back off and give your body a little bit of rest and you continue to load up so that you can get stronger and stronger. And when it comes to creating strength, uh, exercise physiology tells us that it's not only a matter of the amount of weight that we use or the amount of reps in a particular set of our workout that we do, but there's a, uh, another factor that they factor into creating strength. It's called this time under tension. 
It's the amount of time that your body finds itself under the weight of the load. And the longer you're under the weight of the load, the more that your body adapts to strengthen itself. So, so believe it or not, the idea of many workouts is not to get through it as quickly as possible. The idea is to endure and feel that tension and feel that stress and feel that weight and push back against it and push through it. That's how you're strengthened. What's the application here? When suffering comes to your life, the idea is not how we can we blaze through this. The idea is to become comfortable in the uncomfortable. How do we do that? We do that with the grace of God and God's promise to provide that for us. Second Corinthians chapter nine, uh, sorry, Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verses nine and ten speak of <coughs> a period of, that Paul was going through. Second Corinthians twelve speaks of the thorn in the flesh. Paul said that was given to him a Satan, uh, a messenger of Satan, to buffet him. He said. Now, the many theologians throughout the ages have tried to surmise or guess what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Let me just help you with an uh, interpretation uh, tip when it comes to the Bible. Whenever the Bible is specifically vague, God intended to be specifically vague. God didn't want you to know. Uh, there's parts in the book of the Revelation where the angel tells John, hey, stop writing. Don't, don't write down what you're seeing here because God wanted to keep that from us. If God had wanted you to know what Paul's thorn in the flesh is, he would have told you what it was. Oh, I think it was Paul's eyesight. I think it was a, a person that worked with Paul that was giving Paul a hard time. I think it was, you know, Paul's imprisonment that, uh, that he faced. It was Paul's persecution. We don't know what it was on purpose because here's the thing. If Paul's uh, issue was a physical ailment, maybe his eyesight then we could say, oh, all, all those people who have bad eyesight, Paul knows what you're going through. Paul went and had bad eyesight. But the people who are struggling with interpersonal drama at work would say, like, well, does anybody know what I'm going through, you know? But a matter of this, God wasn't trying to give a specific instance where this applies to you. It was a blanket statement of what he says here because what he says is really important. Paul says that he prayed and asked God three times to remove it. I don't believe Paul prayed at 9 a.m., 9.15, and 9.30 one day, and then he said he prayed three times. My guess, and again, this is strictly my interpretation, is Paul had three seasons of life that he prayed that this thing would be removed from, or three distinct periods where he labored in prayer over it that he came back to, uh, that God had an answer for him, and God says, I'm not going to take it away. Here's what God said instead, and, and many of you need to commit this verse to memory. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Here's what Paul says. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to take it away. But here's what he said. My grace will carry you through. And, and here's the great part about it. Jesus says, I'm not attracted to your strength. I'm attracted to your weakness. God's not looking for people who can puff out their chest and, and square their shoulders back and have a stiff upper lip and go, I got this, let me have it. God's looking for people who are like, hey, I need help. And I'm not sure about you, but I'm here this morning gathered together with God's people to not only worship the King of kings, the Lord of lords, but to come and say, 
I need help. I don't have it all together. I need that grace that you're talking about. I need that strength that you're speaking of here. I need that in my life. And so many times when we go through periods of suffering, we feel inadequate. We feel insufficient. That's by design. You should feel inadequate. You should feel insufficient because that's where Christ's strength and grace will meet you in your insufficiency, in your inadequacy. And so this thing that we go through actually proves what you're made of. Verse number four in our passage this morning says, and patience with that steadfast endurance, that strength that we're building that keeps us keeping a pace to the end brings about experience. Depending on the English translation of your Bible, you might have the word character there. Um, the idea behind this word experience is a proven character. It's not just like, hey, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. It's a matter of you have forged something in you that has developed a part of you that you didn't have before. And, and could that be experience? For sure, definitely. But it's more than just like, hey, I've been through that before. It's a matter of I've gone through that, and it's developed something in me that makes me more like Christ. Experience shows what you've gone through and how you went through it. Continue to be in prayer, if you would, for Travis Corrales and his family. They had his brother's memorial service yesterday. His brother passed away at the beginning of July under awful circumstances. And Travis uh, stood yesterday. I had the opportunity to, to go and just be at the funeral. I didn't have any part of it. I just want to just be a help and support to Travis and Jennifer. Travis got up and gave the eulogy to his brother's uh, memorial service. Memorial service was held at a, a non-denominational church that nobody really had a connection to over there, and it was presided over by two female pastors who didn't bring any hope or encouragement that I could find anywhere uh, whatsoever. But Travis got up, and Travis was kind of the bright spot of the memorial service for you. Molly shared some stories about his brother and shared uh, good memories that they had. But he also shared how he knew for sure that his brother was in heaven because he had put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he knew that he would see his brother again one day. And he quoted scripture, what can separate us from the love of God? Uh, nothing can help us, can separate us from the love of God because we're more than conquerors through those things. Man, I shared that scripture and I thought, man, that's good stuff right there. I hope everybody got that one there because that was good. But you know what? what? What allowed Travis to be able to stand up and quote scripture like that? What, what was it? Well, he and Jennifer started coming to who we call it in January of this year, and they've been really faithful and got it plugged into discipleship and, and been growing in their faith and been here a lot and heard a lot, learning a lot about what it means to walk with Jesus. And God kind of was preparing them for that moment where he brought them to a point where he had that strength that he needed because there had been some preparation ahead of time. Now going forward, I guarantee you his life is going to be different going forward, having experienced what he's experienced before. As I look across this room, I think of many, many of you and some suffering that you've walked through over the last 10 years, and I've been your pastor, and God's taken you through those periods and storms in your life now and brought you out on the other side stronger with the ability to point back to the grace of God and to point to yourself and the character that God has forged in you during those times. There's no way to do that other than suffering. When it comes to Job, Job was a guy who knew about suffering. Job 23 says this. I love this. Job 23, verse number 8. Behold, I go forward 
but he's not there. Job's looking around for God, and he can't find him anywhere. And backwards, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, and I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. <laughs> Again, if we don't have time. This is not a message on, on that passage, but man, I just want to preach it. Because get this. Job says, I looked around everywhere for God and I couldn't find him. But he always knew exactly where I was. The importance is not that I know where God is at all times. The importance is that God knows where I am at all times. And here's what he says. And, and, and when he has tried me, when he has put me to the test, I'm going to come forth as gold. This word experience is the idea of proving something to be so. If you were to take a piece of jewelry to a, a jeweler to maybe sell it, or uh, we went to a uh, uh, on vacation to Utah, we went to all the pawn shops there. Man, it was a blast. Be back at like big pawn shops, right? Uh, and so that was a lot of fun. Uh, and so when you take something in a pawn shop, what do they do? They examine it to see whether or not it's, it's valid, whether it's true. If you take jewelry and they're going to take it and put it under a loop and examine all the jewels to find out, are these diamonds or are they some other type of diamond? If they are diamonds, uh, what's the clarity of them? You know, are there any imperfections in it? How is it cut? And uh, what type of of setting is it in? Is, what, is this gold? Is this white gold? Is this fake gold? Uh, what is this? They'll weigh it and they'll determine a value of it based on the inspection. That's what this word experience means. It means you've been checked out and verified and it's valid for what it says that it is. What, what brings that about in my life? Suffering brings perseverance, and perseverance allows us to be examined and determined that we are what we say that we are. So how we respond in times of suffering proves what we really believe. This illustration I'd read probably 15 years or so uh, ago, but it actually proved itself in my, my life this morning. Uh, this morning I was, um, again, my, my, my throat is trash, my voice is trash, and so I have some throat coat tea. It's the name of it, throat coat. Uh, it's for, for people that speak and supposed to help your vocal cords kind of get uh, coated in this stuff. So I get a big 16-ounce mug and I pour honey in the bottom of it. Oh, man, I love honey. And so I got some really good honey uh, that a friend gave me, and so I'm pouring honey in the bottom of it. And then I, I put some uh, stevia in there because I love, I love stevia. If they ever find out that it, it causes cancer, just dig a hole and put me in it. I'm done with. I buy it by the five-pound bag off of Amazon. And so I put some, uh, some stevia in there. Uh, and I got my tea bag in there. And I go to the, the water fountain back there. I'm putting water in it and everything. And so I start stirring. I got a spoon. And, and I, I pull up my spoon. And the, the spoon has like honey dripping off of it, which is strange because if you ever put honey in hot water before, it just like blends in and it just makes everything awesome. And so I, I've stirred it, and there's honey. I was like, that's weird. Maybe I should stir some more. And I got my tea bag in there, but there's not any tea going anywhere or anything like that. I just kind of made it kind of like this, like, off-white color because my, my cup's white. And I was just like, this is really So I start dunking my tea bag, and it's not doing anything. I was like, this is so weird. And so I'm stirring, and I pull my, my, my spoon up, and it still has honey dripping off of it. And so and I realize, cold water. 
And so I was just like, I'm an idiot. And so uh, I take my, uh, somebody said amen to that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm an idiot. And so I go put my cup in the, the, the microwave for 90 seconds and it comes out sweet as can be, absolutely, totally awesome. And I drink it from there. And guess what? It's like actual tea again. What was the difference? The difference wasn't the contents of the cup. The difference wasn't the, the, what was in the tea. The difference was the temperature of the water is what brought that out. I read that uh, that uh, illustration in a book by Jim Bird, changed into his image. I've never read the illustrations there, but it like, like really happened to me this morning uh, when, when that happened. Because here's the thing. What brought out that tea was the hot water. It wasn't anything else's fault. It was what was the situation that you were in. When you go through suffering, you'll find out what you're really made of. When your kids get on your last nerves and you begin cursing at your own children, that's an indication of what you're made of. Oh, I don't know where those words came from. They came from your heart, and your heart's wicked, and your heart needs healing. When you get frustrated with your coworker and you blow up, you know what that does? It reveals what's in your heart. When your Uber is 12 minutes later than they say it's going to be, and you lose your mind, and you feel like steam's coming out of your ears, you know what that does? It just reveals what's already in your heart. That, oh, you're so busy, your time's so precious, you're so important, you shouldn't be inconvenienced like this. Somebody made a promise to you and they didn't keep it and make you wait for 12 minutes longer than you said you, that they were going to. What is that? It revealed my heart that I was proud. I felt like I was above that. So when we take, face these times of suffering, what does it tell us about who we are? If you believe that God is not good and God does not go best, we'll look elsewhere for help and hope. If I were to ask you, do you believe that God's good? I believe everybody would say amen. Do you believe that God's faithfully? Everybody would say amen. Do you believe that God is our source of help? Amen. Do you believe that God's our source of hope? Amen. Everybody would say amen to all those things. But when difficulties come to our life sometimes, although we know that that's the right answer, we go looking for other alternatives. We begin looking for other places that there's help. When drama happens in the workplace, I don't stop and pray and make sure my own heart's right. I begin looking for someone to blame. Somebody else's fault. Oh, yeah, that guy didn't do his job. This guy here is a sandbagger. He's you know, not pulling his own weight. When things happen in my home, I don't stop to look, hey, where was I wrong in this? I look to, to point the finger at everyone else. I don't say, hey, what's my own sinful condition here? Hey, how can God bring healing to this situation? Sometimes we just do what's best off the top of our head. And when... Times of difficulty and suffering come, who you really are will come out. Isaiah chapter 31 speaks of the children of Israel and how they weren't looking to God for help. And it speaks of they'd gone down to Egypt. And just to give you a, a, a good, again, Bible interpretation tip. In the Old Testament, anywhere you read about Egypt, it's speaking of basically the world. And so... Egypt was a place of, of, of godlessness and paganism, and the children of Israel were enslaved there, and God sent Moses to pull them out of Egypt. And again, this is, we'll get into typology later, probably next year, I think. But Moses is a type of Jesus Christ. You should do a study on that yourself if you want to. Egypt was a picture of the world and sin, and, and Jesus is a picture of Moses who delivered them from their bondage and slavery into a promised land and made them God's people. It's a beautiful picture there, that. 
But the children of Israel, they were not out of Egypt for very long when they began to complain and say, why can't we just go back to Egypt? At least we had a place to sleep there. At least we had food there. They ran out of water. Huh. Egypt has water at least. Here we brought out to the wilderness to die. What is this? And they wanted to go back to Egypt. In this case here in Isaiah chapter 31, Isaiah tells the children of Israel, woe unto them. They go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they're many and horsemen because they're very strong. But they not look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Man, look out for the people who are looking the, for the world to solve their problems. They're trusting in money, military might. Uh, they're trusting in what they can figure out, what they can do, their own strength. Look out for those people because they have forgotten the God of Israel. Let you and I be so careful that we never think that we have the answers to everything that ails us. I can't do anything other than make my life more of a mess than it already is. Beware of those who look to the government as if the government has the solution for everything that ails us. I love America like I'm as patriotic as they come. I mean, red, white, and blue, I served for six years in the United States Navy, world's finest Navy. I love America, I really do. But be careful because this system of America, not America itself, but the system that rules America, the world, is set up to rule you through fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And we forget about God and we trust in what we see. And here's the crazy thing. If, we, if I, I truly believe this, and again, I'm just going to give my opinion on this. This isn't the Bible. I'm going to give you my opinion for just a minute that I th hopefully will be helped to you. I believe that we live in a society today that pushes different buttons to figure out what they can do to cause fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And when they don't get the right combo, they'll hit something else because they don't want you to trust in the Lord. They want you to trust in the person who's selling the solution for today. Oh, we're going to talk about, you know, the next big pandemic that's coming. It's the doomsday variant that's going to kill half the world's population. That didn't happen. And everybody needs to get the monkeypox vaccine. We're going to go back to masking again. Pox only affects people that are gay men that are having gay sex. And so it wasn't really that big of a pandemic. So we moved on to something else. And I don't know if you've looked at news headlines. I skim news headlines. Uh, but it's basically the, the oceans are boiling at this point and are going to kill off all the wildlife. And we're all going to die by 2025. If that doesn't scare you, our tax dollars at work this past week had a congressional hearing on UFOs. Like, really? Like, I'm paying my tax dollars to do that? Like, I just need, like, potholes fixed and, like, veterans to get, like, good health care? Like, can we get that, like, before we worry about, you know, alien spaceships and stuff? But you know what? Again, if my hope is in the government, I'm going to live in fear. But if my hope is in the Lord, I won't. So where your hope is determines how you respond to certain situations. And so if you really believe that God's not good, not good, we all say God's always good. You believe comes out in the middle of testing. I, um, Angela and I had moved to California. We were serving on staff at a church there, and, and we'd really committed to serving God with the rest of our lives and everything that we had. We gave our kids 100% to, to the Lord to do with whatever he wanted to. And my daughter, Bikila, when she was about one years old, had a, a golf ball size um, uh, cyst on her, um, one of her lymph nodes. And we'd taken her to urgent care because it freaked us out to see it. It was actually almost the size of a baseball. It was huge. 
And the doctor that was there, he was like, don't quote me on this. He said, but make sure that they run all the tests. He said, I've seen something like this before. He says, I think it's lymphoma cancer. And to be told that your, your, your 13-month-old has lymphoma cancer was just a little bit too much for me to take that night. And no lie, for about 30 seconds, I remember sitting in the urgent care and saying, God, I've just tried to serve you in my life, and this is what you do? God, I've tried to, to just give you everything, and this is how you repay me? Like, like, really, God? And I remember being very, very upset with God for about 30 seconds. And then I got my head around me, and I prayed. My wife and I prayed, and I got my head on straight. And I realized, hey, the same God that gave me this girl is going to take care of this girl until it's her time to go to heaven, and I'm just going to have to trust him with that. But that moment exposed something in my heart that I didn't even know that was there. I began to accuse God. Of, Maybe God's not really good. Maybe God's not as good as he says that he is. But if we believe that God's good and he always knows best, then we'll look to him for help and hope. If you really believe that God's good, then you're going to run to him when these situations arise, when problems come up, when things you weren't expecting happen. I'm going to run to God instead of trying to figure out how I can do it on my own. If I really trust in him, how will you know? You'll never know until the day comes. We can always say, well, like, well I know when that time comes, I'll be ready. I hope that you will. I really do. But you'll never know until that situation happens. For, for me, I've had to walk with a lot of people going through some really hard stuff in the last couple of months. I've been thankful that the people that I've sat with have made a commitment ahead of time that they're going to walk with the Lord through this. But there's sometimes they're going to say, hey, get your focus back on the Lord. Hey, God's going to give you the strength to make it through this. Hey, you got to trust God through this. So we got to make sure that we maintain that. David says in 2 Samuel chapter 22, some of you should, should circle these verses and probably commit them to memory. But as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all them that trust in him. For who is God? Save the Lord. Who is a rock? Save our God. God is my strength and my power, and he maketh my way perfect. That's one of the reasons why I love this song that we sang this morning, Who is like the Lord our God? <laughs> who else are you going to trust in? Raised us from the ashes, he has turned our Grief to sadness, who is like the Lord our God? Like, who else are you going to trust in? God's way, his way is perfect. I, I love the, the word buckler. is not a word that we use in our vocabulary today, but in the Bible, there were two different types of shields that were used in battle. There was one that was basically three-quarters the size of your body that you could stand behind and endure an enemy attack as it was coming your way, but you basically kind of sheltered in place. You can move it up a little ways and you shelter a little bit more, but it was mainly for defensive use. Then there was the buckler, which was meant to be carried on an arm, and it was meant to be used kind of like a Captain America shield, and the fact that it could defend against attackers, but it could also be used as a weapon to advance as you went through the battlefield. And so get this, stay with me for a second. When the Bible says that the Lord is our buckler, he's our offensive weapon, he's our defensive weapon as we continue to push forward on these battlefields. That's what it means when it says the Lord is our buckler. So many times people don't take time to look up Bible words. You come across that, you think like buckles, uh, something that you put on your belt. No, 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 it's so much bigger than that. When we trust in the Lord he becomes everything. He is my rock. 
He's my strength. He's my power. His way is perfect. This isn't the way that I would have chosen, but it's the way that he's chosen and his way is perfect. I don't have the power to make it down here, but he's promised to give me his power, so I guess I can trust him. You'll find that out really, really quickly when the time comes. But I want you to prepare ahead of time and make sure that you're ready when those days come. Because when it comes down to it, the trial itself is not our primary problem. The primary problem is our heart. If you're facing difficulty in your life right now, your primary problem is not your difficulty. Your primary problem is your heart. I often say to our kids, and our kids get tired of hearing it, you can't always change your circumstances, but you can always change your response to your circumstances. I can't change every situation, but I can change how I process it, how I view it. Again, I don't deserve this. Why would this happen to me of all people? You know, I got an unsaved neighbor, you know, who's not going through the same problems that I'm going through. They're actually even blessed. How do you, how do you explain this? I don't have a lot of explanation for it. I've sat with people who have lost children before or who haven't been able to conceive children. And I'll say, you know, I've got an unsaved coworker who's living with her boyfriend and they just keep popping out kids left and right, but God won't give us a child. Why is that? A couple of things. First of all, God's way is perfect. Second of all, God is forging a character inside of you that comes through this suffering that you're going through, this longing and wanting and desiring that only God can give. He's making something in you that he's not going to make in the other person. And so again, don't compare that. It's not, it's not wise to do that. But as we walk through these trials, we need to make sure that we keep our heart right. Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence because out of it are the issues of life. The word keep means to protect. I've got to protect my heart as, as before my suffering and during my suffering because my heart will lead me astray. Your biggest issue that you face is your heart because your heart's going to cause you to question God. Is God really good? Is God going to come through? Well, God's only got a certain amount of time to come through, and if he doesn't come through, I don't know what I'm going to do. And again, this is just a good place to stop and remember. This is not your timeline. It's God's timeline. When I met my friend Andy Riley, he had stage four pancreatic cancer. I don't know how much you know about cancer, but stage four is as bad as it gets, and pancreatic cancer, there's no, I couldn't sit with Andy and say, hey, Andy, you know, God's going to heal you. This is all going to be over really soon. It's a matter of, hey, I want to help you settle in and glorify God with whatever time you got left, and praise God, that's exactly what Andy did. He told me, he said, Pastor, I only got a little bit of time left, but I want to glorify God with every, everything I got. Because i got so many wasted years that I didn't live for Jesus. I want to live for Jesus every day that i got left now. How do I do that? And, man, I helped him do that. And I told him even uh, the last week of his life, I told him, Andy, every opportunity I get to tell your story, I'm going to tell people your story because it gives God glory. And guess what? Andy went home to be with the Lord back in the beginning of May, and I continue to use his story to tell people the faithfulness of God. And so whatever suffering he has is now over because he's with the Lord. Praise God for that. But his suffering continues to help other people as they look to, guess what, his experience, that character that got forged in him during his time of suffering. That's the purpose behind all of this. But we've got to make sure that we maintain the right heart. 
Again, I've recommended the book on several occasions. You've got, you got to read it if you haven't. Uh, Changed into his image by Jim Bird. Uh, the author says this, We cannot shift the blame for any bitterness, anger, despair, deception, cruelty, or some other emotional response that we display when we are under pressure. The pressures merely expose how unlike Christ we really are. Oftentimes when we go through periods of suffering, it's like, well, I wouldn't have done that if I wasn't going through a hard spot, or I wouldn't have snapped at my kids, or I wouldn't have said that ugly thing that I said if I wasn't going through this. The issue is not the problem, the issue is my heart. And, and there's been times before where I have been, you know, in the wrong that I've said to my wife, like, hey, sweetheart, I probably should have said what I said to you, but I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't have done this, you know. That's just passing the buck. My heart, when it's right before God, says, I was wrong. 100%. And so when I go through times of suffering and trials, I've got to make sure that my heart stays pure and right before God. Built difficulty will come, guaranteed. But we have to pray, prepare our heart for an appropriate response. Look, if you knew that you were going to have a, a boxing match coming up at the you know, beginning of October, you'd be training for it. And the weeks leading up to it, you probably wouldn't be running through the drive-thru at Panda Express too much probably wouldn't be, uh, you know, eating at McDonald's every day. You probably wouldn't be clearing out a tub of ice cream at night. What would you do? You'd prepare everything that was going into your body to prepare you for the fight that was ahead of you. Angela had a couple who were friends with us in California. He was a professional boxer. And, man, he needed to know what was in every single thing that he ate. If he took a supplement from GNC, he had to read the label 10 times over to make sure that there weren't any banned substances in it because you'd have to take a drug test and things like that. I mean, this dude was ultra-focused on everything that was going into his body. And I think to myself, I thought back at that time, and I think about it often, if Christians were so stringent upon what they put in their hearts, man, how much better would we be? We don't focus on the things that we listen to, the things that we hear, the things that, that are going on around us and realize how much those are affecting our hearts. I remember I was in the, when I was in the Navy, there was a, uh, I was a, man, probably, I don't know, 19-year-old E4, was sitting in my office with a, a guy who was a, he was a first class, he was an E6, and he was telling me about how life was, and so I'm an unmarried 19, 20-year-old guy, I don't know anything about life, and he's telling me, he was like, hey, just want to let you know, like, because he, he was on the phone with his wife, and, and she was upset about something, and he hung up on her, and he was just like, I just want to tell you this, marriage is terrible, man, but uh, it's fine, you can get through it. He goes, but... Every guy cheats on his wife. That's just something that you do. And so he said, you know, anybody who tells you that they don't is a liar. And I remember like, you know, like, okay. I mean, he's like, and listen, you might think I don't know what I'm talking about, but this is my third wife. And so like, I know women, if anybody knows women. And, and mind you, here's me, 19 years old. I don't know nothing about nothing. I'm not walking with Jesus. I'm not in the Bible. And so I'm like, well, this guy, I mean, he's had three wives. He's like seen some stuff, right? So maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. You know, women will say that they're faithful, but they're not. They'll turn on you the first opportunity they get. They're looking to burn you. Like, and I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, good to know. And praise God for a, a Christian chief in my office who was like, hey, guys, shut up over there. And I was just like, oh, okay. My chief came around later, and he was like, hey, let me talk to you outside. My chief was a Christian. He was just like, this guy's a loser. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, I was like, okay. And he was just like, he was like, I've never cheated on my wife. And I was like, okay. And he was just like, just don't listen to him. Okay. But I was like, but hold up for a second. My, had I listened to that garbage for six weeks, six months, 
a couple of years, at some point I'm going to believe it is so. You know why? Because I've allowed it to come make its way into my heart. What my chief was trying to do that day for me is tell me, hey, flush all those things that you heard because it's garbage. So we got to make sure that we prepare our hearts for times of difficulty that are coming. And we do that by, by, by mega dosing on the word of God, by being in church every time the doors are open, by surrounding ourselves with other Christian friends, by, by worshiping God and praising him throughout the week. That's how we prepare our hearts for when those times come. We talk about our heart. The apostles had gone to eat lunch, and they didn't wash their hands before they ate, and everybody flipped out. The Pharisees were like, you guys are eating with unwashed hands. And here's what Jesus said, Mark chapter 7, verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile the man. He's just like, okay, eating with unwashed hands isn't going to hurt you. What's going to hurt you is not checking your heart. I often try to use that with my wife when she tells me to wash my hands for dinner. It's okay. Jesus said I didn't have to as long as I got a clean heart. And she was like, your heart's not clean either. Wash it while you're at it. But again, the idea that Jesus was saying here, all the rotten stuff, it comes from your heart first. So if you've got a rotten heart and you go through suffering, you know what's going to come out? Rottenness. So I've got to make sure that I'm preparing my heart ahead of time for when this difficulty comes, that my eyes are fixed upon Jesus, my heart is full of Scripture, and my eyes are on the Lord when that time comes. And so this perseverance will build that proven character. So when it says that patience brings experience. It's talking about that steadfastness through difficult times. Just maintaining an even pace will eventually bring forth. You see, your story of God's grace is meant to encourage. You're going through right now, you'll be able to tell somebody later, hey, I've gone through that before, and let me tell you what God did. That's the whole idea behind this. And again, we, we, in the midst of a trial, we got tunnel vision, and we can only see the, how this hurts me, and this affects me, and this is wrecking my life, and I'm unhappy, and I'm uncomfortable, and I don't like this, and we're forgetting that God wants to use your trial for a greater good that really has nothing to do with you, has everything to do with Him. He wants to do that for you if you're willing to allow it. week, you said that they lost their father, and I said, you know what you need to do? You need to make an appointment with Christy Boswell. Chrissy Boswell lost her father again five years or so ago. I said, she walked through it with such grace and such strength. It was super hard for her. But God did something in her life where now she wants to tell her story of how good God is and how God wants to meet you there. I look at that and I say to myself, that's exactly what God intended. That's what God wants is for your, your trial to strengthen other people. There's things that you've gone through that you can help someone else with. Maybe it's suffering. Maybe it's loss. Maybe it's a relationship falling apart. Maybe it's something else. I don't know what it is. But God wants to use your suffering to tell of his goodness and grace. David was a guy who totally wrecked his life. David had sinned with a woman named Bathsheba. It was a time of year that the kings were supposed to go to war, but David didn't want to go to war and went outside on his balcony and saw a naked woman and says, hey, guys, go get that woman for her and bring her to me. 
part of the problem in David's life was if he didn't have any men in his life who would stop him, they were all yes men that gave him whatever he wanted. So they went and got this woman, Bathsheba. David had sex with her and then sent her home. And then she sent word that she was pregnant. And David said, well, get her husband home so that she can pretend like she was with him. And so everybody will think that that's the father. And so they brought Uriah home, but Uriah wouldn't go into his wife uh, and be with her because his men were out on the battlefield. He had character. And so David said, well, send Uriah back to the front of the battle. Make sure that he's dead when he comes back. And so he actually ended up having him killed. Bathsheba then becomes David's wife, gives birth to a child who's very sick, and God ends up taking that child's life. God sends a godly man who's in David's life to confront him about his sin, named Nathan. Nathan says, hey, King, I've got a situation I could use your help with. He's like, yeah, sure. Hey, there's a guy who's a farmer who only has one little sheep and takes really good care of it, thinks a lot of it. There's another farmer who has all the sheep in the world, but he wants that farmer's one sheep. He's actually taken it from him and kept it for his own. What should we do with the farmer with all the, the sheep? David's like, oh, man, kill that guy. Yeah, I thought so. That's you, David. You know what David said? You're right. It is. And so David says, I want to make this right. So David writes Psalm 51. Uh, I highly recommend that you write this down. You should put it in your Bible. You should circle it and, and have it on standby because this is a psalm of repentance. When you've really blown it with God or with other people, you should read through Psalm 51 and study it out to find out what real deal repentance looks like. David starts off, man, I have sinned against you and you only. He doesn't say, well, God, I sinned, but Bathsheba has a part in this too, you know. Or I wouldn't have had to you know, call Bathsheba if my wife was doing what she was supposed to be doing. None of those excuses. I, I blew it. I messed up. David says, my sin is ever before me. And he doesn't make a, a, a confession like, oh, you know, just, just I, I realize I messed up this one time. He says, in sin did my mother conceive me, meaning that this is not a one-time deal. This has been a lifelong problem for me, my sin against you, God. But as he repents, it really kind of takes a turn as it gets to verse number like 11 and 12. Verse number 12, he says, and restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach the transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness, O Lord. Open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. It's interesting, David says, hey, when I'm on the other side of this, anybody else comes near this, I'm going to tell them what's the right way. I'm going to teach transgressors your way. When people are in sin, I'm going to be the guy that calls them out now. I'm going to be able to tell about what you did in my life, and I'm going to be able to, notice this, save people from their sins, convert the sinner, bring people back from the brink. Hey, you don't want to do this. I've been there. I've done that. It's no good. He says, I want to speak aloud your righteousness. I want to tell people your ways are right. Your ways are good. Your ways are perfect. My heart wants to shout your praise now of how good and gracious you are. Notice how it's not a wallowing in self-pity. It's a matter of like, nope, 
I've learned my lesson, and I'm going to teach other people what I've learned, and all the time I'm going to talk about how great you are. That's what your suffering's for. So when we look at this suffering, again, nobody wants to go through it, but your suffering is proof of God's faithfulness, which validates our call to discipleship. Again, some of you might be here for the first time, you're like, well, this is a drag. I'm kind of a church in here that life's going to be hard. I'm just trying to shoot you straight because life's going to be hard, and I don't want you to be surprised. A false gospel of prosperity says, oh, follow Jesus, and everything falls into place. You always get to walk when you're crossing the crosswalk. You'll never already going to be waiting on the curb for you to show up. Just follow Jesus. That's not life. That's not reality. Life will be difficult, but when it gets difficult, what do you do? Here's what Jesus said that you do. If any man will come after me, let him first deny himself. I'm not in charge anymore, Jesus is. I am not even my own anymore. I belong to Jesus. I'm denying myself. Whatever I wanted in the past, I no longer want. I only want Jesus and what he wants moving forward. Let him deny himself, take up his cross. What do we do with crosses? In Bible times, there was never any jewelry that was crosses. That would have been really, really strange for them. It wasn't a decoration in your home. It wasn't a bumper sticker on the back of your, your chariot or anything like that. Crosses were for one purpose, execution. So Jesus says, if any man will come out, be willing to die to your own. Anthony King doesn't live anymore. Only Jesus lives here. When you look at me, I want you to see Jesus. I don't want you to see me. When you see me and my shortcomings and my failures, that means that I have failed to let Jesus shine. And so I have to die every single day to my own self to let Christ live in me. And then lastly, what do you have? If Jesus calls to do, deny yourself, take up your cross, and do what? Follow me. What? Well, I, I kind of got my own plans. No, no, no. You need to follow Jesus. Well, I was thinking like maybe, no, 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 there is no, you got to hear this, if you want to be a true committed follower of Christ, there is no halfway. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, hey, uh, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Follow all the commandments. Yeah, I did that, what else? Sell everything you got and follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away sad because he had many possessions, the Bible says. Jesus didn't stop him and go, okay, sell half of what you got and follow me. You can follow me on you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but the rest of the week you can kind of have your own. Hey, follow me on Sundays, and, and you can live for yourself. No, no, follow me with every fiber of your being, and everything that you have belongs to me now. That's what it means to be a disciple. And if I do that and suffering comes my way, hey, this is part of the path that I'm called to walk. I've already denied myself what I'm going to get upset because things didn't work out my way. I've already denied myself. I've already died to myself because I want Christ to live. And if me suffering means Christ gets to be made greater, let it happen. Bring it on because I have what I need to make it through it. Because I just want to, what? Follow Jesus. Four final thoughts and we're done. First of all, protect your heart. I want to help you prepare for suffering. Your day is coming and when it comes, I want you to have your heart already prepared. Protect it. Be cognizant of what you listen to, what you watch what sources of information you ascribe to. And somebody shared with me the other day, a friend, we were talking about discipleship. They said, I heard some radio commentator says that men these days are not being 
discipled by the Word of God. They're being discipled by Joe Rogan and other podcasts. And I thought, how true is that? That you're learning on what it means to be a man from people who have no desire for the things of God whatsoever. Be careful about what you're letting in your heart. Protect your heart. Secondly, feed your heart. I want to protect it from the bad stuff, but I want to feed it the good stuff. Mega dose on the Word of God. You need to spend time in the Bible every single day. If you don't know what that looks like, talk to me and I'll help you. I'll give you a daily devotional book that you can read every single day to spend time with God every day. You should go through discipleship to learn what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. You need to memorize scripture that's going to help you in the midst of trials and suffering and difficulties. You need to be part of a small group where you can be with other Christians who, st- who pray and praise and study the Bible together and, and pray for one another, love one another. You need to come to the men's conference where we're going to teach you to help you to be a solid, godly man. You're like, well, I'm already a solid, godly man. Good. I got other dudes that could use your help. Would you come and be an influence for them then? Feed your heart the good things that you need to, to be able to fix your heart upon the things of God. Next, talk of God's faithfulness. One of the requirements that we have in our small groups, if you come, you have to share a praise and a prayer request, something good God's done and something that you're asking God to do this week for you. I love to hear people's praises because I know what God's done for me, and he's done some awesome things this week. I've seen him work in other people's lives as well, but I want to know what he's doing in your life specifically. And and here's the, the awesome part about that. When you tell me what God's done in your life, not only does it help me love God more, It helps me know you better. And that's what I want. That's what this church wants because if we're a family and we're a community, we're drawn closer together. And that closeness comes from a relationship that we have where we talk about what? God's goodness and his faithfulness. So talk about how good God's been. If you're going through a rough season, I want to encourage you this. Praise Find reasons to praise. Put on praise music that fixes your heart on the things of God. And sing about God's goodness in your own personal worship. Finally, share your story. Many times the suffering that takes place in our life uh, brings maybe some shame, especially if there's sin associated with it or embarrassment or things like that. No, 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 no. This was meant for God to be glorified. You can share your story and still give God the glory for it. Don't be ashamed of what God's done in your life or what God's doing in your life. Share your story because God wants to get glory from your situation, is he? So if you're a Christian, you're a child of God, you have all the tools at your disposal you need to make it through this and weather the storm and come out better. God's going to strengthen you through the process. He's going to forge something inside of you that you didn't have before, that you'll have to show on the other side that you can help other people with. But if you're here today without Jesus, you're just trying to figure it out on your own. You're kind of winging it. If you're, you're in the, find yourself in the midst of a storm trying to figure out how you're going to put all the pieces together. No, 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 look to Christ. Look to Jesus. He is your answer. For those of us that are Christians, though, we can trust in the Lord. His way is perfect, and He is our strength. Every time I see somebody going through a rough spot, I always try to give them a couple of Bible verses, tell them that I'm praying for them, and I do pray for them. Try to maybe give some words of wisdom about a particular situation. But I got three words that I always remind them at the end, always. And I want you to remember this, and we'll take this with us this week. God is faithful. (music) 
Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.